All right, let's get started as we uh, go. This week we're going to be in session seven. God is present. We'll be in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 to 14. God's people must trust him in all circumstances. So uh, let's take a look at this. Um, first question. When we think of society, what are the, the hallmarks of a healthy society? Low crime. Low crime. Um, good family units. Good family units. Community. I'm sorry. Community. Community. Little unemployment. Little unemployment. Life morals Schools, and standards. Morals and standards. <laughs> Having our children safe. Children are safe. All right. What are what are the effects of an unhealthy culture on its people? Anxiety. Anxiety. Distrust. Distrust. Fear. Fear. Anger. Anger. We're living it right now. We're living it right now. Yeah, we are. Yeah, how do you feel? No, those are, those are good answers. All right. Last question. What is the difference between a hotel and your home? Hotel's cleaner. Okay. Maybe. Not what I was looking for. Hotel's cleaner. <laughs> There's what? You use more Lysol. You use more Lysol. That's what I mean. You can relax more at home. You can relax more at home, okay? Size. Size. It's more permanent. Home is more permanent as opposed to hotel. Ownership. Ownership. Yeah. All these things play into what's going to happen in Jeremiah 29 as we look at this. But before we jump into Jeremiah 29, we need to catch up. Catch up. Yeah, we got to get the, the intervening chapters that we are jumping over. There we go. So, Jeremiah 24, um, we get a whole, it's not really a parable, it's an illustration of good and bad figs. And the, the bad figs are so bad that they're, they're just not edible. You can't eat them. And the good figs that are so good that they're amazing and make you say, wow. And it's an illustration when you, you read through the chapter, and then you get to the end, and God explains what he's talking about with the figs. And really what it is is that they're, the, the good figs are Babylon. Babylon is good. And, oops, and Judah was bad. So the good figs represented Babylon and the bad figs represented Judah. That's pretty... Uh, that seems opposite of what we would think. Yeah, but Judah, it was so bad in Judah. This is what God's trying to communicate is that you're, you're a plate of bad figs. I don't know how much more he could illustrate how bad they were. But he's comparing them to Babylon. With it. Then we get to Jeremiah 25. 
And we see that God is done with their disobedience. That's it. When God says he's done, that's it. I mean, how bad has it got to be that God says, I'm done with it? We don't see it very often in Scripture, but it happens, doesn't it? Thinking of the, the flood. Yeah. The people were so evil that all their that there was all their heart was just wicked. And God said, I'm done. Flooding the world. And that was it. We see that God then sends Jeremiah out with a cup of God's wrath. Now I want you to understand this one. Chapter 25 is interesting. Jeremiah is told to get a cup, fill it with wine, and take it to the kings of these nations and have them drink God's wrath. All right? That, this is the illustration. If they won't, Jeremiah is supposed to drink it. All right? So these are the countries. He's supposed to first take it to Jerusalem, then to Judah, then Egypt, followed by Uz, the um, Philistines, the nation of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, Sidon, Dedan, Tema, Buzz, Arabia, Zimri, Elam, Media, and Babylon. Take a cup and go to all those countries to their king and tell them that God is done. That this is God's wrath. Drink it. You've earned it. Can you imagine doing that? Now, look at these countries. Egypt is all the way down in Africa. I don't know where the king was, but I mean, he could be anywhere along the Nile from uh, Karmesh all the way south to Alexandria. Well, it wasn't Alexandria, but one of the cities that would have been that in the northern part. Go to Egypt. Uz. Uz is all the way over by Babylon. It's in that area. It's in the um, Fertile Crescent. Yeah, it's in the Fertile Crescent. The Philistines are on the coast of the Mediterranean of Israel. Edom, Moab, Aaron, Tyre, well, not Tyre, Dedan, Tema, they're all in what's modern-day Jordan. They're on the other side of the Jordan River. They're in that desert area. Tyre, Sidon, they're on the coast. And then you get Media. Media is modern-day Iran, where the Persians... It was above the Persians in the mountains, almost to India. Babylon, that's right there in the Middle East. Arabia is a desert area. They were nomadic people. Go find the kings of those tribes and take them this couple. This was no short trip. This is months of travel. And then you got to go to the kings. You got to meet them, tell them the whole thing. Um, this is. This is bad. <laughs> this was no simple thing. It's probably more than a year's worth of travel to do all that. But that's what God, God says, I'm done with the disobedience. And he sends them out to bring them. All of this is taking place after the first wave of exiles were taken into captivity. All right, so the book of Daniel, we've done that book. 
The early part of the book of Daniel talks about Daniel, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that whole story about them, you know, only eating the vegetables and not the food from the king's table and all that, that has taken place already as this is happening. They're, they're, well, that's probably happening simultaneously as he's traveling, as we're coming through this. Those people were taken, they're there, they're being trained and all that. Then we move on to chapter what we 26, where Jeremiah is now sentenced to death by the priest and the prophets. They're tired of him and all his bad-mouthing of them, which is really not him bad-mouthing him, is it? No. Yeah. God keeps saying, you tell them that. And they're like, quit telling us that. All right, fine, off with your head. And they sentence him to death. Now, this is interesting. The elders of Judah come together and they commute the sentence. So the priests and the prophets want Jeremiah put to death. And the elders say, ah, he's speaking for God. We, we, we can't. We, we can't say anything about it. We can ignore him, which is what they were doing, but we can't hold him accountable for this. We can't put him to death because he's the spokesman of God. This is what God is saying, and uh, we, we just got to leave Jeremiah alone. They learned something somewhere along the way. So that's in chapter 26. Then Jeremiah 27. Jeremiah 27 is interesting. Because we've got, um, we often view the people of Judah and all that as, you know, God freed them from Egyptian slavery, right? Mm -hmm. Well, God says that they are all, well, actually all nations, including Judah, are to serve Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, that's, if you read chapter 27, God commands them. You serve Nebuchadnezzar. Don't fight against it. Babylon's coming. You just, you, you bow down and serve him. He's your king. I made him king. And uh, they, they were none too pleased. Um, and Jeremiah takes this message to everybody pretty much in the Middle East. You will serve. And if you won't serve, God's going to wipe you out. If you won't, God will wipe you out as punishment for not serving Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was God's king. He chose him, he put him on the throne, and made him the dominant world power. And he says, serve them. Which, you get an idea here. This is, this is heavy. We get to Jeremiah 28. And we run into Hananiah, the false prophet. Now, Hananiah apparently was popular. I mean, think of him as the televangelist of Jeremiah's day. Everybody, Hananiah said it. It's going to come true. And he was going around proclaiming, God will give you your nation back in two years. So the people that are already in captivity, they're upset about being in captivity. And Hananiah is going around, don't worry, don't worry, in two years, God's going to send you home. You're going to get your homes back. You're going to get your nation back. It's going to be two years uh, and all that. And, and, you know, it's a popular message. 
Well, guess what? It didn't happen. Hananiah dies, and it does not happen. Um, it doesn't happen in two years. He dies before the two years, and uh, yeah, God uh, took care of him. Now, as we come to chapter 29, which is our text for today, it is a letter. So let's, let's keep that in mind as we read this. This is a letter that Jeremiah is sending to the exiles that are in Babylon. All right? So this isn't to the, they're to the Jews, but it's to the people that are in exile. It is the first letter sent, um, and it has three parts. The first part is a counsel, is counsel for their lives in exile, how to live. The second is the warning against false prophets, just like Hananiah. There were more of them. They just kept coming out of the woodwork. And um, yeah, so Jeremiah sends a warning about them. And then the third part will be a, a promise of the return to the land. So yes, you are going to return to the land. Here's what God said about it. Um, which this letter in chapter 29 confirms that God did not forget about them. Life's bad. Life's not going the way we wanted it. But God's in control. He knows what's going on. He told you in these previous chapters, I'm in charge and this is the way it's going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar is going to rule the world. Everybody get on board with that. Or you're going against me. So that's, that's the background. Everybody got that? All right, comments, questions. I have a question. Yeah. Going back to a previous chapter, mm -hmm. just the cup of wrath. I mean, was that really like a cup they were supposed to drink out of? Well, it was just a glass. It was a cup of wine, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, literally, that, that's what he was told to do. Take a cup of wine and go and tell them that this is the cup of wrath, and they were expected to drink it. Um, that this is, you, this is what you deserve. This is what God has decreed. Drink it, and if they wouldn't, if they refused to accept God's wrath, then Jeremiah was supposed to drink it, which is the whole illustration of Jesus taking God's wrath for us and all that. There, there's a whole if you if you read the chapter, we didn't, we're not doing it, but there's a whole lot of crossover. You start reading it and you're like, wow, there's a, this is just like yeah, wow, okay. Anyway, yeah, right there in the Old Testament. Go ahead. Uh, a general question about taking. Uh, the scripture out of context. Uh -huh. When I was uh, set a date that I was going to retire, I really was bearing down and asking the Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, I want to know right now type of thing. And uh, of course, uh, he wasn't giving me any direction. <laughs> but he, he gave me this verse 2911 that really gave me comfort. And I, it's like, with all the background you just mentioned, you know, 2911 doesn't have anything to do with Steve Dunning and his retirement. <laughs> well, but, yeah. but, but yet it really got a lot of encouragement about the word sure. and that type of thing. Sure. It's great for encouragement, but terrible for doctrine. Yeah. Doing that. All right. Now let's jump into chapter 29 now. There we go. Uh, chapter 29, verses 1 to 7. Somebody go ahead and uh, read that. 
These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the peoples whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylonian. This was after King Jeconah um, and the queen mother, the youth. The, U I'm going the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Eslaw, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, the son of <coughs> Hilkai, whom Zebekai, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It was said. I'm like looking at this, and I'm looking at this page, and it's on that page. And I'm like, wait, wait, did I mess something up? <laughs> I thought my printout was messed up. I'm sorry. Keep going. Okay, keep going. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylonia. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For its welfare you will find your welfare. All right. They're in exile. They were frog-marched all the way to Babylon from Jerusalem. The people that went in the first wave were the master craftsmen, most of the king's court, most of the educated priests. So it was all the intelligent people, all the people with knowledge and workers, the people that are, were worth their salt. They're the ones they took in the first wave. In the second wave, they'll take the low-end craftsmen and most of the farmers. And then later, you know, they'll, they'll get another wave out of there and destroy Jerusalem and all that. So these are the people with all the know-how, all the knowledge, skills, and all that. They're none too happy about it, needless to say. And Jeremiah is sending this letter, which I'm sure was not well received. We moved on to uh, part three of our outline of the book. And Jeremiah stands firm despite harassment, which we talked about. That this is, we saw that they were, you know, committing him to death and all that sort of stuff. And really, you boil this down, this first section down, and God says, "You are to thrive in Babylon." Yes, it's punishment. Yes, it's judgment. But God says you're, you're, you're not going there to abject poverty and slavery. Go there and build homes. Now, why would he tell them to build homes? So they stay there. Well, Hananiah told them they're going to go home in two years. Right. So if you weren't going to go home for two years, you would be thinking... I'll rent. I'll rent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's right. I'll get a hotel room. I'll get a hotel room. I'm just staying for a bit. You camp 
You're right. Camp out. Whatever. God says no. Build homes. Buy property. Build homes. Make it a place of your own. He tells them, get jobs. Plant vineyards. Plant gardens. Get a job. Work. You're not just there. It's not, you're, you're not on vacation. Think about it. When you, get a, when you go on vacation, you get a hotel room, you stay, it's nice and all that. But it's not yours. You don't care what it looks like. You don't care what it's like, you know, what the insides are like. You don't work in the area. You're just there, you know, you go to the restaurant, get some meal, whatever, and then you go home. He says, no, take, take jobs, take positions, plant, and all that. He goes even farther. Don't just think of it as like temporary housing. <coughs> if you've ever been in the military, you know, you're there. It is home, but it's temporary because you know in two to five years, they're going to move you again. So you don't really get very settled because you go from installation to installation. He says, go ahead and have families. Put down roots. Settle in to the area and be there. Now, he's not talking about intermarrying. He's talking about marriage. But marry whoever's there. Now, remember, they, they're not in their ancestral homes and all that, where the tribes are all divided and all that. So they're unlikely people that you would have never have thought, because you didn't usually marry outside of the, the villages that were around you. Um, you know, that's kind of the way it was. Your marriages were planned and... You didn't usually marry too far away, but now you're in exile and they're all mixed up. So you've got people that you know nothing about, families that you may never even heard of. Um, and he says, just, just, just get married. Marry in, you know, it's all right, do this. And then this one is the really bizarre one. <laughs> He gives them the command to serve, serve your community. These are your captors. These people marched into your country, took you captive, and drug you off, and frog marched you to Babylon, and deposited you here. And God says, you serve your community. You pray for them. Pray for King Nebuchadnezzar that it goes well, that he's doing well. If he's sick, pray for him. That's pretty bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. Well, we're told to pray for President Biden, right? <laughs> Are you saying that? <laughs> You're right. Are you seeing, though, anything here? This is the Old Testament. Where the New Testament is all about, you know, love one another. It's about the Old Testament's supposed to be the angry God who's wrathful and you know wipes everybody out and all that. He says, serve your community, pray for those, pray for your enemies. Right? We see this again in the New Testament. Jesus makes a big deal about this. Right? We just did the book of John. What was the whole idea in the book of John? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one, yeah, love your neighbor as love one another. Christians are supposed to take it to another level. 
But here we see it in Jeremiah. God's commanding. See, God doesn't change. We just ignore it in the Old Testament. It gets ignored, which is what they end up getting punished for. They ignore what God wanted. He had a social system. Jesus came and has made it a whole lot more obvious. And we kind of, we still don't get it, do we? <laughs> but we're supposed to have families. We're supposed to build homes, have jobs, and be part of the community. Paul talks about it. Obviously, Jesus talks about it in the Gospels and all that. The idea is, is that we're supposed to live quiet, peaceable lives in godliness and honesty, waiting on God in his time and seeking the good of their captors. Now, we as Christians are supposed to seek all those same things while we're waiting for Jesus to return. Jesus to return. Hmm. They were waiting for Jesus to come the first time. We're supposed to love one another, pray for the king, live at peace. Right? That's what Paul writes. That's what Peter writes. It's amazing. They, they, they're, they're just quoting the Old Testament. Hmm. Comment, question. Makes me think of no matter where we are, what circumstances we're in, God's there and his rules still apply. You know, mm -hmm. no matter if we're yeah. in prison or not in prison or yeah. whatever, we're still to represent him. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of Corey Ten Boom. Mm hmm when, Yeah, she was in the sure. camp. No, nothing has changed. I mean, this is Jeremiah. Nothing has changed in the New Testament to today. We are still sojourning in a land that's not our own, aren't we? Yes. That's how we're told this world is, right? This isn't our home. We're sojourning here. They're sojourning in Babylon. Same principles align. We're supposed to thrive where God has us. God put them there, and they were told to thrive, do well, because that's what God is, is doing. We're not, we don't just uh, decide that we're, we're done and we're going to not be part of the world anymore. The whole monastic movement that we uh, just make little walled communities and we hide and cluster in there. You're not serving your community. Because God has always tried to get the world to see his people living his way and be interested. They can't do that if we're hiding away. Seems like what I got out of it too is that God still took care of them. Oh sure. Even though they were <laughs> horrible, He's still taking care of them. Which is the whole point of the, the, the remember the title was God is present. <coughs> he didn't just send them off and throw them away. Yeah. No, He's uh, He's got Jeremiah writing to them. They just don't have the temple anymore where they can go and make all their worthless sacrifices because they weren't doing it the way. They're supposed to still live the life, even though they don't have all the trappings of religion. All right, let's move on. We'll see how this continues to play out. Jeremiah 29, 8, eight and 9. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. 
Do not listen to the dreams and encourage them, the dreams you encourage them to have. They are, they are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. I don't know if I can make it any plainer than God did through Jeremiah. You are to ignore those prophets. If they're telling you you're going home, it ain't true. You're staying. Put down roots, get jobs, build houses, live a good life. They're, they're under punishment. God's telling them, go ahead and live a good life. It's okay. I want you to have a good life. You're not coming back to the land. The prophets and diviners, these guys are going around telling everybody, Oh, it's okay. We're going back. Don't worry. We're going back. God loves us, and we're going to get the land back and all that. And Jeremiah's telling them the opposite. Don't, don't believe it. These guys are not from God. It just can't get any plainer than that. But we all want to hear the good news. That's, all, that's my problem with all these guys that are running around. It's the end of days. It's the end of times. And the, you know, they're, they're, I get hit with all these Bible study guys, and they got their YouTube videos and all that, and how, you, how we know it's the end and all. It's going to be the end when it's going to be the end. <laughs> if you want to know the will of God, and everybody's like, well, why can't God just tell us what the will of God is? He just put it up there. Jeremiah wrote it out and sent it to us. We just saw. God says it all over again in the New Testament. Paul writes about it in Romans. John wrote about it in John. Peter wrote about it in 1 Peter. Love your neighbor. Work, your, work for your living. Pray for your community. Pray for the king. Serve them. Same thing. I don't, we just don't seem to get it. We all want to do something different. Like there's some miraculous plan that God has. His plan is for us to live a godly life in front of everybody else in the world so that they'll be interested in God. Comment, question. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse. <laughs> Just like Jeremiah. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, Jeremiah keeps saying the same thing over and over again. I want to tell us something, right? If God's got to have a prophet say it over and over and over again, and then send multiple prophets, because Isaiah said the same thing. I mean, we've seen this over and over again. We must not be getting it. <coughs> Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 14. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me, when you seek me with all your heart, I will be I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Right. Thank you. Now, a note before we move on. Seventy years. Now, I, I, there are people, there are actually whole courses in the numerology of the Bible. Seventy years. Now, if we step outside of the Bible and we talk about the whole idea of 70 years, in the culture, 
70 years was a, um, what's the, uh, figure of speech? Yeah, it was a figure of speech used to describe a lifetime. All right, so maybe it is exactly 70 years. People get all bent out of shape. If you start counting your years, it doesn't add up. It was a figure of speech in Jeremiah's day, in, in the ancient world, for a lifetime. We, we just say, you know, it, it, it's a lifetime. But 70 years, that was the expected allotment of life for a person. And so they would talk about it in, you know, 70 years. It, it was meant to be a lifetime is the idea. And that's what we see here. Settle down. You're going to be there for a lifetime. That's what he's telling them. That's the idea. That's the whole communication, which if you read the previous verses that we just read, if we take out the 70 years and use the word lifetime there, kind of makes sense, right? Get married, have children, have a life, a home, work and all that because your whole life is going to be spent here it's going to be a lifetime that you're going to be there settle down don't get hung up on years and dates and, <coughs> and all that stuff understand the context of it so that's just a side note that's a freebie <laughs> I do I get people that want to know well I counted these up and I added these and don't, don't, don't get hyper over it some of it's just figures of speech all right, so part three, you are to hope. There's a future hope. It isn't, this isn't the end. Just like for us, it's not the end. We know how it ends. We want. We just got to get to the end. And there's no reason stressing about it. You don't see anywhere in here, worry and be consumed over what's going to happen. No. Live life. Enjoy it. Have children, have grandchildren, work your job, buy your house, live life. Just remember to do it within God's boundaries. But you're to hope. He says you're going to wait 70 years. You're going to wait a lifetime. And then I'm going to bring you back. During that lifetime, though, you're supposed to turn to me. Turn to God, and then I will hear you. The whole concept here is, is repent, right? They had turned away from him. That's why they were sent away. They weren't living right. They weren't following him. They chased after idols. And he says, no, you're going to live a lifetime here. Turn to me, and after you've lived that lifetime, I will hear you. Show me that you can live the way I want you to. Which is interesting, because that means everybody that was taken into captivity aren't going to be the people that are going back. Mm -hmm. It's a whole generation that's got to die out. Which is interesting. If we go to the Exodus, they turned from God and sinned terribly. Remember? They sent the 12 spies into the land of Canaan. They came back with the report. Ten of them said, no. no way, dude. There's giants in the land. We can't do it. Let's turn around and go back to Egypt. And you had the two spies who said, no, this is a great land. It's a wonderful land. It's got a land of milk and honey. It's got huge clusters of grapes. We just need to go in and take it. God will do it. And what did the people do? 
huh? They rebelled. They wanted to kill the two the two spies, Caleb and um, Joshua. No, kill them and let's go, right? And God showed up, which often is what happens. <laughs> and what was their punishment? They're going to wander until the last person of the generation that rebelled dies. And the next generation will get to go into the land. Well, here we are. They've been rebelling and rebelling and rebelling. And God says, I'm sending you off. You're going to live a lifetime here. And the next generation, the children that you're going to have, they're the ones that are going to go and go back to the land. You're done. You, you, you sinned so bad, you're done. So turn to me, and I will hear you. And when that happens, then I will restore you. So it's a promise with a caveat. You, you need to come back to God. <clears throat> and Daniel's going to spend his whole adult life trying to convince the exiles of what God was doing and get them to, to come back to God. But that's Daniel. We're still in Jeremiah. Comments or questions? Okay. It's interesting what he says here. <clears throat> he says, then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I think that's what God is looking for then and now, that we are wholeheartedly his. Yep, totally. Completely. That's what, if you, if you remember the early parts of Jeremiah, they were still going to the temple and doing all the sacrifices, but their heart wasn't in it, right? They were doing the right things for all the wrong reasons. And here we are, as Patty just said, serve me wholeheartedly, and then I will hear you. Because if you remember earlier in Jeremiah, God said, I'm not listening to your prayers anymore. He, they were shut off. He, he wasn't listening. He wasn't going to pay attention to them. And now he says, you want me to pay attention? Turn back to me and serve me with the whole heart. Go on. little uh, doctrinal work here. As we look at what God is doing... We see that God as Father reigns with providential care over his universe. His creatures and the flow of the stream of human history according to the purposes of his grace. He's in charge. Remember we, we just talked about, was it chapter 25? Who did God put in charge of the world? Chapter 25. Oh, I'm 25. Sorry. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar. Huh? Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar's his king. Now, it's funny because when we come to the New Testament, what does Paul tell us about the king? Honor. Honor him. Why? Because God, put him there. because God put him there. Remember, Paul's writing this, and he writes it in multiple books. Romans is the most obvious, which... Nero is Caesar at the time. And if you know any of your history, Nero was absolutely horrible to the Jews, horrible to the Christians. 
He's the one that burned down Rome and blamed it on the Christians and all that. I mean, he was just a terrible individual. He had a garden, and he would throw parties in his garden, and he would light it with Christians that were dipped in tar, put on a pipe, still alive, and set them ablaze. Oh, my God. And Paul writes, honor the king. This is the king I'm supposed to honor. God's in charge. Nobody is king. Nobody rules that God hasn't put there. That includes President Biden. Whether you like him or not, he was God's choice. He didn't get into office by accident. He might have got into office in, in some illicit manner, as we see it. But it wasn't in an illicit manner if God's in charge. And nobody can be king that he hasn't chosen. Think about that one. So, you know. Would that stand in court? I, <laughs> courts are irrelevant. God's in charge. He does what he wants. That's the whole point. God as Father reigns with providential care. It's not just that it's his will, but he actually has care over his universe and creatures through the flow of human history. According to his grace. Yeah, according to the purpose of his grace. We, we all love to quote that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, the whole context of that is that it's his purpose for grace. Sometimes we don't like it and we want to fight against it. That's why this is a, this is a solid doctrinal statement. We can see God's hand when he sends prophets to tell us what's going to happen beforehand and then he makes it happen and we go, why? Because he said so and he explained why. I saw a hand somewhere. Go ahead. Perhaps we got Biden because of the way our land has become as a punishment. <laughs> and that is quite possible, but I usually reserve judgment on punishment because unless God tells us that it's punishment, we don't know. Now, it, it doesn't mean that it isn't. It's just the way the world is because of the way we are. Uh, we got what we asked for. I mean, uh, I don't know that it's punishment. It's just the consequences of uh, the actions. our actions. <laughs> our beliefs. Yeah, or our beliefs. As a society, not just. Yes. Yeah. Well, people don't want God. He's happy to, to go away. Because yeah. then they and have to follow rules. The, the problem, well, the problem is, is that when God goes away, we don't realize that there's nothing in the world that's good that doesn't come from God. So if you tell him to go away, he takes all his good with him. What's left? Evil. What we Nothing have. but evil. We wonder where the evil comes from. It's the absence of God. Cindy. We have to remember to trust, to have the belief. I mean, to have the faith, to have the belief that God's word is the truth. And that's the only thing we should stand on. Yeah, exactly. Nothing else. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, whether we like it or not, that's the problem. Is we, all, we, we want to ignore it because we don't like it. This is inconvenient given the way the state of the world and our government today. This very idea is inconvenient that God's in charge of because it ain't gone the way we want it to go. All right. So we're going to finish a little early. All right. A couple of things to take with us as we go this week. First of all, 
God is not bound by physical boundaries. The Jews did not understand this. They thought if they weren't in the land, then they could not worship God. He's not bound to a place. We don't need to be here at the church to worship God. We don't need to be here to study God. We don't need to be here to pray to God. We can do it anywhere and everywhere that we are at. He's not bound by physical boundaries. Secondly, God is always, underline that, bolded, highlighted, put big bursty stars around it. God is always consistent in his message to us. Jeremiah is writing to the exiles. Live in the land, be fruitful, multiply. Live a good life there, thrive. Paul writes to the different churches. Live your life, pray for your, your king, your governor. Live in your community, be part of it. The message is the same, Old Testament, New Testament. We just keep ignoring it. God is always consistent. If we find it in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. If we find it in the New Testament, it's in the Old Testament. It's there. He hasn't changed. He's the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And then thirdly, as we go, God always, and you can highlight, bold, star, whatever, always has a plan for restoring his people. If we go all the way back to Genesis, when Adam and Eve fell, he had a plan already in place to restore us from sin. He has a plan for restoring people. He knows what he's doing, and he's working that plan. It may not be going the way we think it ought to, which is often the case, because we don't want to go through hard times. We don't want to go through difficult learning. Sometimes we have to learn in school hard knocks. That seems to be my favorite school. <laughs> um, but that's, that, that's the way it is. God has a plan. And we're living it out. Let's close. Father, we thank you that you are consistent. That there's nothing arbitrary about what happened in the past, there's nothing arbitrary about what's happening right now, and there will not be anything arbitrary in what's going to happen in the future. We can hold to that. Lord, we can know that you're consistent. We know your will for us. Lord, help us to live in it. Help us to accept it. Help us to thrive in this world that you've given to us. Jesus is. Amen. Amen.